This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. What a wonderful guest I have today on my show, B. Janae Kareem. She is the Executive Director of BK International Education Consultancy, specializing in inspiring and immersing primary school or K-5 educators in STEM concepts. She's an education equity advocate and author of 12 Quick Steps to Writing Winning Classroom Grants. In the interview today, we look at navigating being the only person of colour in the room, the legacy that she wants to create in educational equity so that all pupils have access to the resources in the classroom. So we may not personally bought by the teachers in the classroom, actually resourced classrooms, and how she can really help STEM educators become confident to teach STEM subjects when that's not their major, their primary background. And we also hear BJ's top three C's for confidence. So let's dig in. So I want to welcome BJ to the show today. I am so grateful that she has taken time out of her day to come and speak to us and inspire us, not only with her story, but also what she is doing in the world and the bigger difference that's going to make. So thank you for being here. And I want to start by asking you to um, introduce yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be on your show. My name is Bijanae Kareem. I'm the executive director of BK International Education Consultancy, We are based in the U.S. in Atlanta, Georgia, and we have a couple of offices um, in Georgia as well as in Washington, D.C. area. And so a little bit about myself is that, you know, as a former educator, um, as well as a STEM major, I now combine my love and passion for, for all things education and STEM, standing for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and help support Uh, local educators to create as well as sustain innovative and inclusive learning spaces. So that is, that is my work. That's what I'm passionate about. And um, I'm excited to be able to share more about my journey. And I can really hear how fired up and passionate you are about your particular cause. I can't wait to hear more about that. And I'm going to circle you back to start with to the fact that you are a STEM major. Mm -hmm. So Can you tell me a little bit about your STEM journey? Absolutely, absolutely. So I I guess it all goes back to being in high school. So when I was in high school, uh, I wanted to be a doctor of some sort. I even worked at a hospital in high school where I was what they call a dietitian assistant, where that just means I was passing out food trays and picking up food trays from the patients. And so I thought it would get me closer to the medical field and help me figure out, you know, what type of doctor did I want to be? Um, and so what I learned during that time is, uh, I don't know if I want to be exposed to infectious diseases, but I did major in 
biology and chemistry in undergrad. And so again, getting me, you know, more closer to the science field. And so at that time, um, upon graduation, I used my science degree in the environmental science as well as in the food science space. And so um, here in the States, they have a program called AmeriCorps. And it's where you can volunteer for um, uh, different causes of, of purpose that you are attracted to. And so there was one environmental group that I helped support it that would, would do everything from um, testing out like pollution in local streams and helping to repair eroded uh, string banks and just a variety of things. And so um, that was an interesting job uh, <laughs> that I had. And it also just shows that, that um, I'm okay with rolling up my sleeves and, and, and digging in and doing hard work. And in my transition period, um, I also had another, I wear many hats, Hannah, let me tell you that. I, I had many hats and many lives. Um, another STEM job that I had was being a, a food microbiologist. So I would test food samples that would come in from companies um, to make sure that the, uh, actually the bacteria levels <laughs> that were in those foods were of um, um, were in compliance, so to speak. And so again, that shaped my, my lens and my experiences of, of, of doing high quality testing and thinking through the scientific process. And uh, so I came across this opportunity where it's like, hmm, do I wanna go back to get my master's degree? What do I wanna get my master's degree in? What will it be? And I came across uh, this educational program called Teach for America. And it really resonated with me because the goal was to make sure that all children, regardless of their color, their background, their zip code, that they had access to high quality education. And that really spoke to me. And later on, I realized that it probably spoke to me because I also come from a family of educators. And so um, I signed up for the program. I was fortunate enough, I was accepted into the program. I was super excited about that. And that began my pivotal decision um, and my shift in my career to go down the path of education. And so since then, um, I've worked it at the elementary level as a teacher for over 10 years, uh, coordinated science programs. Uh, ha we had a program, a really cool program with, with NASA, the, the um, National Aerospace Space Administration Program, where some of our students at our school were able to interview an astronaut on the International Space Station. Talk about big deal, okay? <laughs> that is very, very cool. I remember watching a program where Tim Peake um, was leaving a voicemail for his um, mom and dad because they didn't pick up the phone and they were, it was all over the news. There's a voicemail from space. <laughs> right, right, so cool. really cool, exactly. And so um, that was uh, a program that I helped to coordinate and I was a robotics coach. And, and what I learned during my time as an educator is that uh, there are a lot of teachers who are not comfortable, especially at the elementary level, teaching science. And, and that was an epiphany for me. And it's like, oh, like I was fortunate enough to go to school for science and have a background in that. But there are a lot of children who may not have um, fun or engaging experiences with science at an early age and may completely dismiss that as a potential career path, especially 
um, being a woman, right? Being a girl, because, you know, when you think of science and engineers, you tend to think of, of males, right? <laughs> you tend to think of males first. And so that really spoke to me. What also spoke to me during my time as an educator is that I like architecting learning experiences, not only for children, but also for adults. And so that led me into launching my own education consulting firm, BK International Education Consultancy. Oh, thank you. There's so much I want to ask you about okay. that. <laughs> I'm um, sure I, give you, I gave you a lot of content there. Aha. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I'm like a child in a sweet shop right now. Um, I The first thing that I want to ask you is, I'm going to go back to the microbiology testing because yeah. the thing that was screaming in my head because my husband's a microbiologist and he's like, oh, cool. I should probably shouldn't say this, but he's anally retentive around food <laughs> and how things are cooked and how things are stored and everything like that. And it's probably because he knows. That's right. More than I do. That is right. <laughs> when you did the testing, did you ever find anything like crazy as a result of doing the testing you were doing? I would say not for the most part, no. Um, and we had different departments that we would work on and test like out different things. So I would say in my department, no. But I can tell you that place was a really stinky place because we had to <laughs> autoclave food and really spoil food. So those, those uh, bacteria and things would come out. So it was a really stinky place to work at. Let me tell you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and yes, it would make you very anal retentive and OCD about how food is prepared. And it makes you see things differently, actually, uh, even buying packaged things at a store like, oh, there's an allowable amount of like bacteria or whatever that's in this food that I don't even think about. But I'm going to eat these chips out of this bag anyway, you know. <laughs> I love that. I'll have a newfound respect for my husband's um, nuances yes. around that. Please do. Please the be good news is he never listens to this. So <laughs> we're all good. <laughs> The other thing that um, I wanted to ask you about was you talked about it was really important for you to not just inspire um, children, but also children of color. And Absolutely. one of the things you talked about was culturally, when we think of scientists instantly, and it's like hardwired into us, we think of um, a man in a kind of... Um, lab coat or however you envisage that for yourself an astronaut a male astronaut and it is something that can be a default setting and hardwired and there's even studies to to prove that as well the implicit bias within us all mm -hmm. so I wonder if you could tell me a bit more about your own personal experience of being um being a woman first of all within that academic setting but also what the challenges you faced in terms of being a minority group mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you lifted that because for me, being a woman, as well as being a woman of color, um, I see myself as an African-American woman, a black woman, um, what I identify with. And so with that, there's a double bias barrier there, right? I'm a woman <laughs> and then uh, I'm also a black woman. So um, you, you hit the nail on the head and there, and as you mentioned, there is an implicit bias there, but it doesn't have to be because um, the reason why that is there because of the images that we see. If we only see males, a male astronaut or a male, uh, a white male in a lab coat, then in your psyche, you think like, oh, well, that's 
that's who that's career for. That career is not for me, right? Um, but as I mentioned, you know, I come from a line of educators. I also come from a line of, of scientists and, and engineers. And so for me to kind of overcome um, that, that double bias barriers, barrier, so to speak, I think of three things. And this is what my father shared with me. Um, it's important for you to exude competence. So being at the top of my game academically was important for me. Unfortunately, it's one of those things. It's like, oh, you have to kind of outperform to show that you 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 know you belong at the table. Um, also, because not only am I I'm a woman of color, but I also look young. So there's another thing that you know I have like a baby face. <laughs> I know people. You actually do. You really do. <laughs> right. I have a I baby face. I have no idea how old. You are. <laughs> Let's and I'm not even gonna try. Yeah, I'm just, I'm past 40. Let's just say that I'm past 40. You wouldn't believe that, right? No. But, right. So then I have a triple barrier there because not only I'm a woman of color, but I look young. And so then there's an ageist thing that may be going on when people first meet me. And so having that competence there, um, and that doesn't mean you talk down on anybody, but just showing that you, you know, you know what you're talking about, right? Um, and I, and I have whatever education that's so called required, um, for me to be here or be in any place and be at the table. And so I think that is important, right? And it doesn't necessarily always mean degrees, but being able to uplift your experience and, and, and showcase your value. Um, the other C would be commitment, right? Like what, what does it mean for you to be successful in your field? And that's whatever you desire to be. What, what pathway do you want to make or blaze? You know, what is that? So that would be the other thing. What is your commitment? Are you fully committed, you know, in your role? And people can pick up on that right away. Just like you can pick up on, oh, how did this person get this job? They don't really care about that. So, <laughs> and, and I know when people, in, you know, encounter with me, they know like, oh, if I say I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to honor, I'm going to honor that commitment and honor my word. So competence, commitment, and also confidence, you know, confidence is also key because People tend to um, agree with or follow leaders who come off as confident. So as women, I know a lot of times like we, uh, and, and I have to catch myself on this too, you know, say like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, or, or you know, or when someone, when someone interrupts me, I may stop talking instead of continuing talking <laughs> when someone interrupted me. So all these like little nuanced things of being a woman just being more aware and conscious of um, and being confident in who I am and the value that I bring and that, you know, I'm a human like everyone else and deserve to be here. Absolutely. And I like the analogy that everybody on the planet arrives with an equal value of one and you don't have to do anything or be anything to keep up. That's right. That's it right. just is. I love those three C's that you live your life by really impactful but I I want to dig into those foundations as well because when you talk about competence you also mm -hmm. said it was almost an expectation that because of these biases against me I have to outperform mm -hmm. I wondered if that had come with any downside to it for you as well that's a good question that's a very good question um That's a good question in terms of competence and downside. Yeah, because you talked earlier about 
okay, I have to work really hard. Did that mm-hmm. cause you to work really hard? Like what was the, <laughs> it kind of sounds absolutely. like you have to. You know what, good point. Yeah, absolutely. And even to this day, like I'm still having to say like, okay, you've done enough for today. <laughs> Take a break, it's gonna be okay. So now it, it has developed that hardworking spirit. Um, it's something that now in my forties, I'm having to say like, it, it's okay. Like you, you've done enough. You, you've proven yourself and given myself permission and given myself grace um, to, to relax a little bit, you know, <laughs> to relax mm. a little bit. So that's a great point that you bring up, Hannah. Yeah. So while that's the thing to, I think that initially has helped propel me. Yeah. In your later years, you want to, you know, you want to be peace. You want to have abundance. You want to have joy. And don't want to feel like you have to be stressed out or exhausted um, to be able to enjoy that or relish in that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So for you, that's something that's come with age and time. Yeah. And recognizing. And I love that you call out your value, recognizing your value as well. That's something that's really important to me as well. And it's something that I teach a lot of not teach but I coach around as well how to understand what your actual value is that you bring the other piece that was so nice that you talked about was around confidence and how you structure sentences around that you know instead of um it was the perpetual I'm sorry or just and the way that we already lower our um I guess, the way that we're thought about by the language that we use as well. Is there when one thing that my clients always say to me is, what do you do when somebody kind of um, you're you say an idea and then someone else, it's not really listened to. And then someone later takes your idea and everyone loves it. Do you have any advice for when that happens? (laughs) That's a good one. And I think that's definitely a commonplace occurrence, unfortunately. Um, I, I, I really don't actually have an answer for that, Hannah. Um, uh, maybe embellish on that idea, have a private conversation with that person maybe later on. Um, but, but yeah, because it's, it's a, a, a delicate dance between um, you don't want to throw necessarily that person under the bus per se. Uh, but at the same time, you do want credit for your idea as well. So that's a d- very delicate balance. I hope you, maybe, maybe you could coach me on that, Hannah. <laughs> you do leadership coaching. <laughs> I'm so naughty with these questions, aren't I? It's the things that run through my head. Um, the, when I'm with my clients, I kind of say um, to get, in the opposite foot to give people credit if you do want to build on someone else's idea. So to say, as B. Janae said earlier, um, I'd like to build upon that idea. But in retrospect, when it happens to you, yeah, it's it's a real challenge and a fine dance as well. I'm not sure even, I'm not sure I have the answer for it. <laughs> but like you said, it could be a calling out if you need to, or it could be a private conversation, or it could be a one-off and to await and see um the other thing that was so nice is the way that you um have had your pathway unfold but you've been so it feels like you've been so sure about the choices that you've made along the way to get you to where you are now 
have you always been sure about the next step? How did you make those decisions and how did you know it was right for you? Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say <laughs> that I've necessarily been 100% sure, but I will say though, I'm a very goal oriented person. So once I have decided on a goal, um, it's easy for me and just how my brain operates to, to come up with a plan to achieve that goal. So I wouldn't necessarily say I've always been sure, because as I mentioned, like I, I just knew I was going to be some type of doctor. <laughs> and so I put myself in that space early on and I was like, oh, OK, this is not for me. And that's OK, too. That's OK, too, to do what I call process of elimination. Right. It's just as much um, uh, healthy and good for you to do process of elimination as for you to say, oh, yeah, that that's specifically what I want to do. I think in life. You know, when you're younger, people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're supposed to just know right off the back. And sometimes not everyone knows. You have to have some more experiences or, or as a scientist, collect some more data to be able to make an informed decision. And so process of elimination, I think, has helped me as well, because my, my path has meandered a little bit. You know, I was in science and then I moved over to education. And now I'm blending the two and helping support, you know, educators in, in uh, building their capacity to create these innovative and inclusive spaces for, for children and for students. So um, I wouldn't say I'm 100% sure, and it's okay if, if anyone else is not 100% sure, but just follow through, you know, follow through, set some goals, try to accomplish them and see where you are, you know, at, at, the, at the end of your goal setting. Mm -hmm. That's really great advice. And I always have this thing about how we make these choices straight off the bat when we're like eight years old oh, I want to be a doctor <laughs> right the same thing myself you know and we make choices based on the decision of an eight-year-old and then we get into our 20s and suddenly we haven't questioned that eight-year-old self right and sometimes right. things don't turn out to be as we expect them to be because we were eight years old when we chose that thing and it's no longer relevant for the person we are on that day so I love that you noticed when it wasn't right and that you meandered to mm -hmm. find your pathway. But interestingly, if you hadn't done the science mm -hmm. and you hadn't done the education, you wouldn't now have this blend. So it's almost like it was um, made to be. In yeah, in some way, yeah, made to be in some way. I think another thing for people to consider, so ha having that science background and, and knowing about the scientific method and the engineering design process, Life is very much so like a scientific question because all scientists, they start with the question that they're curious about. It's the question. So the question for ourselves individually is, is what is it that I want to do? What brings me passion? What brings me joy? What was that? How do I want to contribute to society? Right. And that's your life question that you're that you're experimenting and figuring out and testing to see. And, you know, long were the days where you pick one job, one career, and you stay on it for the rest of your life, right? And you don't have to do that anymore. Same thing for the, engineer, for the engineers who have an engineering design challenge. I think of it the same way. You start off with a problem, and you have all these constraints. You have these limitations. But you do your best with what you have, and you come back and look at what you've made, and you may have to make some tweaks here or there. You might have to keep making tweaks. And again, that's okay because scientists and engineers, they do not get it right the first time. And more than likely, we probably won't either. <laughs> <laughs>
Absolutely. I often refer to myself as my own personal science experiment. That's right. That's in health or whether it's in the career. Um, it's great to have that, like you said, the curiosity, but also the analytical mindset around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also talked about this revolution that's happening. No longer are we destined to spend our whole lives in one particular company. Very rarely now is that going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is around being able to adapt and flex and change in your career, maybe having multiple different versions of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I love this intersection you now have between um, science and education and inclusivity. So tell me what's firing you up right now in your work that you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my ultimate goal really with BK International Education Consultancy is to amplify educational equity. Um, all over the world, there are inequities in the educate in education systems, period, full stop. And so we endeavor to help, you know, close the gap, so to speak, mind the gap, as they say in the UK, right? <laughs> mind the gap, um, close that gap and ensure that there are more people like me, you know, young girls, young black girls, uh, brown girls, you know, whatever color girls, um, children of color, minorities um, have full access to a quality education so that they can make the decision. So, you know, that of a career path that is viable for them based on their interests and their love. And uh, another thing that's important um, in that education space, space is that we're making instruction more culturally relevant. You know, um, as we see with the pandemic, the pandemic has really spo- uh, shown a spotlight on things that aren't really working in education and, and the gaps that were there and is really shining a light on that. And so we have to, we have to do education differently. We just have to, we just have to, because as we see now, it's not working. It's not working. And so one of the ways that we plan to go about doing that is that we have some, um, some STEAM education boot camps for school leaders who are interested in accelerating learning, but want to do it in a different way. Like teaching subjects in isolation, that's not really working. Uh, and so what is another way to do that? By integrating those content areas. Another thing is to help schools uh, acquire more funding. There are a lot of schools that are underfunded and teachers don't have what they need in their, in their classroom. And they're so giving that they're willing to spend out of their pocket, you know, to get their, the students what, their need, what they need. But we shouldn't rely on teachers to do that because they don't make enough as it is. And so we also have um, our first self-published book on 12 quick steps to writing and winning classroom grants to help educators, school districts to be able to sustain those innovative and inclusive learning environments. Thank you, that's really helpful because I did a PGC in secondary science when I was doing my meandering pathway. And I too bought all the resources for the CAT classroom because I really cared about the resources that they had. And you're right, it shouldn't be the teachers paying for the resources. And with my children, I noticed that um, in their early years education, they're all in primary school at the moment. So they're nine, seven, and four. Um, 
you can really tell the difference when they have a teacher with a scientific background mm-hmm. compared with when they when they haven't and you can notice that when they there's a science background there's a particular passion and they get a lot more um let's say experiments happening yeah hands on exactly. hands on mm-hmm. and so um I think it's really important that all teachers are able to do that confidently because mm-hmm. it is part of the core education so I'm so excited about your book so 12 quick steps to writing and winning classroom grants so um how has this been helping yeah so one it has been showing educators that if you can create a lesson plan then you can write a grant application because there there are a lot of parallels and similarities to a quality lesson plan that are the exact same uh, type of questions in a grant application. So that's one thing it does. It helps to bridge that knowledge base. So it doesn't seem like, oh my God, what is this grant writing? Oh, I can't do that. Well, yeah, yeah, you can. (laughs) If you've written a lesson plan or a unit plan, you you absolutely can. So we we bridge that knowledge for them. Um, It also provides examples of winning grants. So when I was a classroom teacher, I spent out of my pocket, just like you, Hannah, for those resources um, that I that I wasn't able to get from the school, and those winning grant applications, I put put excerpts of those, you know, inside the book as well. Because I know it's always helpful to have, you know, an exemplar or a model, like what exactly should this look like, or how do I word that. So that's included in there. It also is made out like a workbook style, which is very familiar for educators, right? So where they can stop and and. Um, begin to craft their own, you know, grant project as you go through the book to, uh, to help find funding for your classroom. So uh, it goes over those things. And then even the chapters, the chapters in the book are designed in a way that it looks just like a lesson plan. So um, one of them is about, you know, um, starting off with a diagnostic assessment. Now, what does that have to do with a grant application? We, we tell you how that's connected or how you, you know, a formal assessment or summative assessment. What does that have to do with a grant application? We tell you, or uh, setting your objectives, you know, what does it have to do with a grant application? We, we tell you, it's all included in the book as well as how you can set up some basic searches um, to identify funding sources for your for classrooms as well. I love that because you've made it so easy for everybody to be able to access it at the style in which they're used to as well. Teacher speak, that's teacher talk. Teacher talk, (laughs) and I understood some of it as well. (laughs) Funny. Um, So you've got the book out. Mm -hmm. I want to know what your next steps are for you. What's, What's firing you up within this arena next? Yeah, so... I would actually say thanks to the pandemic, um, schools are leveraging technology more, which is that T in STEM. And so there's a great opportunity to help advance and help support educators as well as students with developing 21st century skills. And that's being able to leverage technology, you know, being um, technology, technologically savvy, um, collaborating with others, being able to communicate. And just tapping into students' creativity. Kids are already creative, but how can we enhance and leverage that in our instructional classroom? And so because of the pandemic, I think it's a ripe environment um, for us to do school differently and and really um, hone in on STEM and STEAM 
and take education to the next level in a culturally relevant way. And so that's what I'm fired up and excited about. And, and I hope that, that um, as educators, that we see um, this pandemic as an opportunity to do things different that definitely need to be done differently. 100% agree. And I have colleagues that I know um, are doing work in universities right now to decolonize the curriculum, mm. which is a really important part of this um, change in the cultural perceptions and those implicit biases that we talked about earlier. That's right. So I'm so thankful that you're here doing the work that you're doing and making your difference in the world. One final question that I have for you. Actually, I've got two, so that's okay, cheeky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One question is, what, having been through the pathway you've been through, what mm -hmm. advice would you give someone else starting out in STEM right now? Mm -hmm. One, I would go back to those three Cs, you know, um, practicing, and it's okay if you don't have it in the beginning, right? But just being more self-aware and practicing um, you know, you showing up in, in competence, you know, um, your commitment as well as your confidence, but then also trusting your, your gut, right? Like it's there for a reason, right? And uh, another thing I would say also is to find a mentor, you know, because as you had mentioned, Hannah, that, you know, understanding your value, but sometimes you, you may not know what your value is unless somebody tells you, you know what, you're really good at X, Y, and Z. I, I like how you do that. And sometimes you don't know from other people's perspectives how you add value to a project or you know, to you know, a STEM department or in a STEM career. And so it's helpful to kind of get that feedback um, and finding a mentor can help to do that as well. Somebody that you look up to and that will take the time you know, to help support you um, in your efforts. So I would say the three C's, advice, um, trust in your gut, um, or, or your spirit, you know, internally, like, you know, making decisions about certain things, like, you know, society may tell you one thing, but if you have a, a, a inclination, like, mm, no, 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 I'm going to go this way instead, trust your gut, trust your gut, and then also find, find a good mentor. And I think our bodies know often before our brains know the answer to things, and we just need to listen to it. That's right, absolutely. Absolutely. In terms of distinctions for mentors, for those people listening, um, we often define mentors as someone who's walked the path that you want to walk mm -hmm. and can make that pathway smoother or easier. That transition mm -hmm. kind of collapsed time for you. So often what we find in STEM subjects is the mentor that you have may not always be the mentor that can help you. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you want to move beyond academia, but your mentor is still your supervisor, they can't help and advise you do something, help and advise you to do something they haven't done themselves. So just to check in, make sure that it is someone who can advise upon that particular pathway. Mm -hmm. And note that it is biased advice. It's like it's it's advice right. based on their personal experience as That's well. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad you raised that and lifted that because um, for some, your mentor could be your supervisor, right? It doesn't have to be. It could be somebody in your same gender, like you said, who walked a similar path as you and can help reduce your learning curve as you go down that path. Um, you can have more than one mentor. Who says you have to just have one mentor? <laughs> I know. I love that concept. I had, I spoke to someone recently who said, 
yeah, have loads of them and have 15 minute chats with them. And it doesn't have to be a formal thing and really like be a mental junkie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can have one on one. So maybe if you're female, maybe get a, get a male, get a male mentor. What's wrong with that? Because then you can also hear the opposite perspective, right? Um, get a female mentor. It That's fine too. You know, get as many that, that you can, you know, I guess manage with your schedule, but it doesn't have to just be one. And as, as you meander, you know, along your journey, your career path, your personal path, um, you may switch and get a new mentor. So again, it's not fixed on who your mentor is, but you, you want to definitely get those that can help you reduce your learning curve. And like you said, can help pave the way um, for you and make your journey a little bit lighter, right? Um, sure. And just to bring coaching in the mix, obviously, because I'm a coach. <laughs> so for those listening, coaching is about being future focused. So being able to define what it is that we're heading towards out there, getting some clarity on that and breaking it down into big key milestones and micro steps to help you get there each and every week. But often being human, we get by, with the best will in the world, we get in our own way, we get stuck in our heads. And sometimes it's hard to take those actions, particularly when they feel new, scary, different. And a coach can help you unpick what's happening there and move beyond them. So you can continue to create really fast momentum in your life. So um, I just thought I would throw that in there. So my final question for you today is I want to take you back to starting out your consultancy that you have now. And I know you've been doing it for a little while now. So if you were to go back and whisper in your ear at the start of that consultancy, what would you say to yourself? Ooh, that's a really good question, um, Hannah, because as I mentioned, my background is in science and education. It is not in business. <laughs> and so with that, there were a lot of challenges that came along the journey starting my consultancy business. And there's things that I'm still learning. Um, OJT, on the job training is what I'm calling it. <laughs> and so if there's something um, that I would whisper to myself, I would say um, to really just to give myself some grace and some patience. I can be impatient with myself at some time and think like, oh yeah, I start this and I'm supposed to be here, you know, by a certain time or, you know, make this amount of revenue or this, that, and the third, or, you know, um, have all these expectations on what a successful business looks like. I don't know where they came from, but I just had them, you know, sitting kind of in the back of my psyche and, you know, the same advice as I would share with somebody new to the field is the same thing that I, I, probably would share with my young, my, 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 um, my, my budding entrepreneurial self is just, you know, trust my gut, find a mentor, you know, have patience with myself. And I love what you said about, especially since I'm such a, a goal focused person, you know, setting some of those micro goals, um, you have a larger goal, but then having some of those micro goals and then stopping to celebrate along the way. Like you don't have to wait till the end of the year to celebrate you know, if you accomplish this, hey, party time, <laughs> let's celebrate, give yourself a pat on the back for being able to accomplish that micro goal, right? So that, those I are love, things. <laughs> love that your um, advice is almost the same for yourself as well. Um, but a really great point. And I like to call them intentions rather than goals, because sometimes 
if we call them goals and it has a specific time frame and we don't meet it and we're really hard on ourselves and mm -hmm. even though we've achieved something we can't feel that achievement so I often call them intentions and when I'm aligned to that intention it will be complete even I love it, another that. six months to get there and then I, I can love start. that absolutely yeah. I love that Hannah so much uh that that resonates with me and I overstand what you are communicating. <laughs> I, I overstand that. That makes so much sense. I love that intentions. Yes. Yes. I'm going to use uh, that moving forward. 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I know everyone on the call today will have really enjoyed hearing your career pathway and your experiences and be totally inspired by what you're doing in the world. So thank you, Janae for your time today. Thank you, Hannah, for having this platform for us women to share our voices and um, just to affirm us in what we're doing. It feels good to go along the pathway and to be recognized and, and you know, just have your, your head tilted like, okay, you, you know, you're doing pretty good, pretty good. So thank you so much for, for this platform and being able to share. You're welcome. And for those you won't be able to see this because you'll be listening to the audio clip. BJNA pretty much has right on the top of her head in her background, a little crown. So um, remember that you are a queen. Yes, <laughs> I love it. It's very purposeful, I have no doubt. I'm glad you picked up on that too. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.